Hey, Rarecast listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new program from Global Genes called Data DIY. Access to data is essential for advancing the understanding and treatment of rare diseases. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is to be as savvy about data as researchers and clinicians. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders how to become empowered data owners and stewards. If you'd like to learn more about the program, attend an upcoming Data DIY workshop, or view resources, go to globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Conducting rare disease clinical trials can be challenging because of small and geographically dispersed groups of patients who may face difficulties in traveling to trial sites. Regulatory requirements for cell and gene therapies, even if only administered once, require long-term follow-ups that extend for many years and provide an ongoing burden for patients. Jiva Informatics Solutions is seeking to address those challenges through its harnessing of digital health technologies to bring the trial to the patient. We spoke to Harsha Raja Simha, founder and CEO of Jiva, about the challenge of conducting rare disease clinical trials, the potential of digital health technologies to address those issues, and how ready regulators and sponsors may be to embrace these technologies to transform the way they conduct clinical trials today. Harsha, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Danny. Pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about Jiva Informatics Solutions, clinical trials, and your efforts to decentralize studies by harnessing technology to bring the trial to the patient. I I thought for listeners not familiar with you, though, we could begin with a little background about who you are. You've been involved in the world of rare disease both professionally and personally. Can you, you sketch out your involvement in the rare disease world? Certainly, Danny. Um, so, um, you know, my name is Harsha Rajasimha. I'm the founder and CEO of Jiva Informatics Solutions, uh, a venture capital-backed startup on a mission to decentralize clinical trials. My uh, engagement with uh, rare diseases dates back almost uh, 18, 20 years when I was a genomic data scientist at uh, the Virginia Bioinformatics Institute analyzing sequences of bacteria and viruses that could be used as objects of bioterrorism, including, ironically, the coronavirus uh, genome sequence. And uh, since then, I have worked in the rare infectious diseases, um, retinal degenerative diseases, and cancer and rare disease-related genomic projects, including at uh, the National Institutes of Health, FDA, and in the industry, launching the molecular diagnostic gene panels to diagnose a variety of these diseases. Uh, But 
the life-changing event for me was uh, in the year 2012 when I had a child born with a rare congenital disease uh, called Edward syndrome or trisomy of uh, chromosome 18 and uh, that uh, uh, really um, affected our family firsthand as uh, more as patients um, and the baby passed away at birth uh, uh, you know, three days after birth, um, and the diagnosis occurred immediately at birth, um, and was confirmed within a day after uh, coma. You know, uh, uh, in situ, um, site, uh, you know, some um, cell uh, analysis. But uh, that uh, event uh, led me to found a couple non-profit organizations since then, and um, uh, also founded Jiva around the same time in 2013. Um, and uh, in the last year, um, we pivoted uh, from being a bioinformatics and genomic data analysis company to a uh, product development company focused on solving a uh, specific problem, uh, which is, you know, uh, since the beginning, our mission was to accelerate diagnostics and therapeutics for rare diseases. Um, and um, we uh, identified one problem which is the travel burden in clinical trials uh, as, as a major uh, hurdle for why the clinical trials are so slow right now or inefficient and uh, if we solve the travel burden problem uh, we can address a number of other um, uh, issues that are related to the travel um, which is recruitment, retention and compliance um, which, which are all major problems in clinical trials. Well, what was the moment of epiphany? What led to that recognition of the impediment that the travel burden has on, on clinical trials? Yeah, so last year we were fortunate enough to go through the George Mason University uh, Small Business Development Center. So I have been an affiliate faculty member in the School of Systems Biology for the last six years at George Mason here in Fairfax, Virginia. And uh, we had a small grant where we uh, were asked to interview uh, 20 customers in two weeks. And when we say customers, it's various stakeholders uh, of clinical trials, including uh, decision makers, influencers, saboteurs, uh, end users, and so on. Um, so we took that uh, $3,000 grant uh, and conducted those 20 interviews in two weeks, which... Uh, was very insightful, but did not get us to the epif uh, epiphany, um, if you will, at that point. And that did qualify us for the national NSF i program, which is a much more nationally competitive selection process where uh, uh, entrepreneurs with uh, scientific and technical ideas are selected and given a travel grant to go out and interview 100 customers at a minimum within seven weeks and quickly get to a go-no-go no go decision about whether the idea is being validated uh, by the customers and what the business model is. Um, and during that uh, process, we were assigned to the Boston MIT node of the National Science Foundation and a team of four from Jiva Informatics participated, and we interviewed 146 customers in, during the seven-week uh, official uh, duration. 
And at about 60 or 70 customer interviews is when the aha moment really occurred for us that if we were to focus on one problem, it's the travel burden because all these other problems that, you know, when we were asking for top three uh, major problems in clinical trials uh, leading to inefficiencies, um, we heard patient recruitment was by far the number one problem almost every stakeholder mentioned. And uh, related to that was once they uh, are recruited, uh, about 30% of them drop out during the course of the clinical trial. And it's very hard to measure and ensure compliance of uh, the participants adhering to the clinical trial protocols. So we, we thought all of these are related to patients having to travel to the clinical trial sites. Um, the burden of that is what causes the delays in recruitment in the first place. And then retention, you know, those who think they can actually brave the travel, those who are located, you know, beyond 50 miles of where the clinical trial sites are, they end up realizing that it's too burdensome and they may start dropping out. So we saw that there is 25% of the people who drop out or who do not enroll cite travel burden as the main reason uh, why, why they are either not enrolling or dropping out after enrolling. Um, so uh, we think uh, at least 25% uh, of the problems can be solved uh, by addressing the travel burden um, by reducing the amount of uh, in-person visits during clinics. We've seen an enormous transformation and evolution of communications technology and tools for data gathering. Clinical trials, though, I'd argue, by and large, are still being conducted as they always have been. To what extent is technology transforming clinical studies so far? That's a great question, Danny. So, uh, you know, clinical trials have been run the standard randomized controlled double-blind clinical trials for the last 60, 70 years. Um, and by and large, the process has not uh, changed either significantly. However, in the last 15 years or so, um, the use of mobile technologies in some form like a wearable device or a sensor to collect some continuous data or using uh, internet to find and recruit patients, uh, social media listening or patient reported outcomes um, uh, apps that are being developed and used. So that's gradually increasing. However, what's not changed is the fact that almost all of the clinical trial site visits that currently um, are ongoing, let's say uh, uh, roughly about 1 million clinical trial site visits in the United States alone per year, almost all of them are in person. Whether it's really a clinical assessment that has to be performed in person or not, patients are still required to simply show up every single time. And so that's just not um, fair and reasonable and not patient-centric enough. And, and so I think the FDA's push for patient-focused drug development process and increasing patient-centricity themes that the industry has adopted has led to now really ask the question, uh, using of these mobile apps and wearable devices and sensors are an added burden on top of the 
travel visits that the patients are supposed to do, uh, and they are not actually replacing or reducing the travel. And so that's that's the mission that Jiva has set out on is to um, really use these technologies in a manner that reduces the burden and not increase it. What are the challenges of conducting a clinical trial for a rare disease that Jiva thinks it can help address? So a big part of the rare disease clinical trials are cell and gene therapies, Danny. And the cell and gene therapies are really taking on a huge level of interest and investments within the community, both by the patient advocacy groups and the biotech and the investment community. And, you know, within a very short period of time, FDA has now approved at least four gene therapy products, uh, which have uh, life-altering impact on the patients for which those uh, gene therapies are approved for, uh, such as spinal muscular atrophy children. Um, and so now there are about 900 plus uh, clinical trials ongoing for various cell and gene therapy products for um, a number of rare diseases, and most of them tend to be for rare diseases. And so, um, but not necessarily limited to rare diseases like hemophilia and thalassemia, rather common diseases in in uh, certain parts of the world. And so, I but they do offer huge potential, and the number of uh, the amount of interest is skyrocketing in cell and gene therapies. The major uh, aspect of a cell and gene therapy clinical trial is that they tend to be one and done. It's a one-time therapy as opposed to a long-term daily pill swallowing or frequent injections of biologics and such. So they do fall under a biologic category, but it's a one-time therapy. But the FDA has now mandated that all cell and gene therapy trials be followed up um, with up to 15 years of long-term safety monitoring, depending on whether the, uh, it was a adenovirus-based uh, uh, gene therapy or a lentiviral or uh, CRISPR, or whether it was um, you know um, um, RNA-based um, uh, therapy. So based, uh, in any case, there is long-term safety concerns since they are still relatively new and there is concerns that these viruses might persist in certain organ systems within the patients uh, receiving it and uh, might even cause cancer um, in in some cases. So um, the long-term implications are yet unknown and it's important uh, um, requirement that FDA has put in place now um, that uh, up to 15 years of safety monitoring and adverse event data collection is, is uh, required. So that is where we want to focus uh, at Jiva is to provide the long-term follow-ups. Uh, once the therapy is administered, um, the sponsors can confidently um, pass on the responsibility of long-term safety follow-ups to Jiva, and we manage that using a combination of uh, technology, mobile apps um, for video conferencing and data collection, as well as uh, with, with reduced or little or no travel for patients, and uh, also uh, a good bit of human in interactions with uh, uh, coordinators, nurses, and physician investigators. Um, engaging at, at a uh, reasonable frequency with the uh, uh, gene therapy patients 
uh, over a 15-year period. So the, this is, you know, most of the trials in the past have uh, durations of nine months up to three years. With, with the cell and gene therapy, it's a game changer in many ways, including that the safety monitoring requirements last up to 15 years. And so that requires a very unique purpose-built technology which can allow us to monitor the patients over such a long period of time without losing them to attrition, um, especially if travel is involved. So we are making it really purpose-built and re uh, reduced burden and accurate data collection, but also consistent quality of data from all patients in a given clinical study. Because if we allow individual sites to do their own data collection, there can be significant inconsistency in the quality of data collected. So that's the value that uh, Jiva offers sponsors of cell and gene therapy trials. You mentioned the role Jiva can play with cell and gene therapies. What other types of trials do you think Jiva is well-suited to address? Uh, that's a great question, Danny. So here are a few examples. Uh, one, uh, we are seeing a lot of interest in the chronic pain space. Uh, currently, there is a national crisis with the opioids overuse and overdose. Um, so that's uh, an area where a lot of innovative new um, uh, pain treatments are being uh, explored, including medical cannabis products. And um, so th that would be a particularly home-based uh, clinical study where we can collect data from uh, uh, people suffering from chronic pain, whether it's knee arthritis or migraines or any other uh, type of pain um, where uh, standard of care treatment or, or, or opioids versus non-opioid alternatives are being compared. So collecting uh, data from chronic pain patients uh, from the convenience of home uh, would be one example. The second is uh, we are seeing a significant interest in oncology um, where uh, a long-term uh, cancer recurrence and remission are being monitored or need to be monitored and patients tend to uh, neglect uh, getting the monitoring PET scan done uh, because of the travel burden involved in going to the radiologist and then taking the images or uh, seeing an oncologist thereafter. So we are building um, technology to simplify the logistics and reduce the number of uh, amount of travel involved in monitoring for cancer patients. That's another example. The third is any uh, long-term longitudinal cohort studies uh, for a variety of uh, uh, health, aging, and chronic diseases um, where longitudinal studies are involved uh, in the order of 5, 10, or 15 years. Um, our platform offers the opportunity to do that uh, with, with little or no travel. I imagine it will vary from study to study, but is there any way to quantify to what extent you are able to reduce the need for site visits in a given study? Uh, we have estimated based on hundreds of customer uh, stakeholder interviews that the, we can reduce anywhere from uh, 20% at, at the lower end up to 80% in the higher end. There may be um, occasional um, cases where even 100% of the safety monitoring could be done remotely, but, but I think uh, the sponsors will like to see at least half of the visits 
or so in in person uh, at least in the near term until they gain the confidence and validation to um, increasingly uh, adopt uh, video conferencing and remote uh, visits to uh, do those clinical assessments. And how much of what you're doing is based on technology? Um, I would say it's about uh, half and half. Um, so uh, the uh, bring your own device model for the mobile app is certainly a critical component uh, and it's a technology component of, of this uh, overall process, but it, it's not just the technology that, that can solve the problem. Um, we, we need a combination of um, purpose-built technology which is integrated within the lives of the uh, clinical trial participants and make sure that the protocol design and the uh, patient's um, preferences are taken into account on how, how much and how uh, well the technology integrates within the clinical trial operational process. So it's, uh, it, it, I would say it's uh, about 50-50 um, is, is technology versus process. How, how does this change the qualitative experience for clinical trial participants? I think it can have a, a significant impact in a number of ways, Danny. Um, right now, zip code is a uh, uh, implicit uh, exclusion criteria in clinical trials. You know, more than 90% of all clinical trial participants live within 50, 50 mile radius of where the clinical trial sites are. So, the, uh, naturally, um, eliminating the choice of uh, for majority of the population that live um, outside of these hot pockets like Boston or Bay Area or Houston, Texas or uh, you know NIH and Johns Hopkins. So it you know which is where like majority of the population lives in rural parts of the country and mountainous and hard to reach geographies. They they have largely been neglected or not have had or the opportunity to be participants and gain early access to these life-changing or life-saving treatments. So in the first place, it's, it's really a matter of making, the, um, making it more decentralized, geographically uh, allowing the opportunity equally for patients living in rural Montana, the same opportunity as those living close to Boston. That's number one. And number two, I think uh, by um, integrating the hybrid choice for patients, uh, uh, you know, some patients may still prefer to have that uh, in-person, face-to-face interaction with the physician and may choose to um, forego the uh, video conferencing visits and want may, may prefer to have an in-person visit. So uh, providing that flexibility and option to patients makes a huge difference and that's, that's the way it should be, um, is what we heard from both the patient participants and the sponsors who are both keen on making clinical research more, um, you know, fitting uh, patient-centric. What do we know about its impact on cost? Oh, I, I think the cost is uh, from, based on our calculations and um, our discussions with customers so far, um, the cost savings can be at, at, the, at the lower end. 30%, uh, but can be as high as 70 or 80% in some cases. Uh, but, but we are going to um, 
learn from our initial experiences this year as we are embarking on a few pilot projects. And um, as, as we say, you know, until we do it, we, we don't know it, but we do have a hypothesis and we, we think it, it's going to be a significant cost saver for sure. But more than the cost, Danny, it's, it's the time. Um, you know, the patients are waiting uh, for these life-saving treatments. So the biggest um, uh, reason why sponsors uh, and all the stakeholders are keen on exploring and adopting this approach to decentralized clinical trials is more for the time savings uh, than the cost savings. Well, to what extent does this accelerate the recruitment or improve retention or compliance with a, a trial? So in the case of uh, cell and gene therapies, which is our initial uh, target, um, you know, those for those types of treatments, it, it may not have um, such a big impact on recruitment because since these are life-saving treatments, uh, patients are willing to travel around the globe uh, to participate in a trial. Um, and and uh, so the enrollment may not be a huge, um, um, imp you know, imp improvement or consideration. Um, whereas retention can still be because over a 15-year period where they already got their treatment um, on day one of uh, the uh, therapy administration, and then there is really no treatment going on after that. And and so it's uh, very important to keep that engagement on a long-term ongoing basis with, with all the participants so they do not drop out of um, the safety monitoring and long-term follow-ups. Uh, so I think there is a 30% improvement in retention that we can expect um, if, if we can, uh, and essentially reduce the dropout rates to less than 5%, which, which is what uh, the FDA uh, requires um, to keep it as low as possible. Uh, ideally, you know, we don't want to see any dropout, uh, particularly in cell and gene therapy trials, which tend to have much smaller uh, patient cohort that participate in these types of trials. And finally, the compliance in terms of, um, you know, um, ha ensuring that patients are reporting their um, data, um, patient reported outcomes or clinical assessments over such a long period of time, um, unless there is a uh, very diligent, um, trained team of professionals who are running and conducting these, but also taking into account reminders, alerts, notifications, even um, having consented uh, ability to make outgoing calls going into the patient's cell phones or home phones to remind them of a upcoming appointment or a mi missed appointment or their um, uh, negligence, if, if there is any in terms of updating the electronic dairies on the app and such um, to ensure that there is much better compliance, you know, over 80 to 90% compliance to the protocol and reporting and data is what, what is expected. So um, I, I think with, with our approach of having app, a combination of technology, app-based uh, email, um, interactive chat, as well as, uh, you know, the, this outbound and inbound call center, uh, we can ensure uh, as high a uh, compliance as possible. At the same time, does this alter 
the type of data that can be gathered as part of a clinical study? Does, does it improve the ability to gather real-world evidence? Absolutely. Uh, by allowing patients and participants to um, go about sharing their uh, health data and clinical data and patient-reported data from the convenience of where they live and work, we are uh, enabling continuous and more frequent data collection than a in-person uh, site visit would enable, um, say, uh, instead of doing a bi-weekly or a monthly in-person data collection, we can now enable um, uh, easy integration of a wearable device, for example, to collect heart rate or pulse and oxygen saturation and temperature, for example, um, you know, forcing, um, uh, you know, continuous temperature data from uh, participants um, that can provide a hint as to maybe a flu is around the corner for, for a given participant can help um, alleviate a lot of the adverse events and uh, other um, improve the health outcomes. Um, so absolutely the type of data, the frequency of data, and the quality and accuracy of data. Um, for example, the most people on an average when, when collected in a, or measured at, in a white coat setting in a clinic, as opposed to in a comfortable home-based setting. Um, and so th there are variety of endpoints and health measures that, that are more accurately measured when, when done by patients or uh, in, in home-based settings. And how open do you think regulators and, and trial sponsors are to this type of an approach? The regulators have really done a phenomenal job, Danny, in the recent past, and they uh, had a draft of the uh, long-term follow-up guidelines document in the last uh, few months. And last week, literally in, uh, in uh, towards the end of January, they have um, now made it official guidelines uh, for... Uh, particularly for cell and gene therapy trials uh, for long-term follow-ups and safety monitoring, uh, provided detailed guidelines to the sponsors uh, as to what their responsibilities are in terms of ensuring patients do not drop out during the 15-year period and what type of data needs to be collected and how to assess the risk and safety uh, of patients uh, particularly in terms of uh, what adverse events and severe adverse events to be anticipated. Um, and so those guidelines uh, offer uh, significant uh, support and uh, implied, um, uh, you know, encouragement and even requirement that the FDA is now uh, putting on the sponsor's um, uh, shoulders. And so the sponsors have, uh, I, I don't, I, I think, are, are all evaluating um, various options as to how to uh, satisfy this in a cost-effective way, uh, yet um, keeping the burden on patients at a minimum given given the long-term uh, requirement. So we believe we have that unique purpose-built solution, which still has the ability to evolve uh, a bit as we work through the pilot projects with our initial customers. As you think about the way clinical trials are conducted today, how do you expect technology to transform them? So uh, right now, um, Danny, um, uh, the, a variety of uh, clinical trials for chronic diseases and 
vaccines, uh, or even oncology, where a lot of advanced technologies are currently being used, you know, uh, electronic patient-reported outcomes or electronic clinical outcomes assessments, uh, ECOA, and um, adverse event reporting with the CTCAE uh, um, Pro and so on. They, they all exist, yet the burden on patients has not actually reduced. And so the JIVA approach is really focused on how can we actually apply these technologies in a way that actually has a real impact, both on the patient participants and also on the sponsors um, in improving the efficiency without compromising quality, as well as accelerating the overall process and improving patient experience. So I think there is a um, more uh, while the technologies are all advancing uh, at a uh, alarming pace, uh, you know the number of medical devices, of wearables and sensors and such are skyrocketing. Uh, whereas that needs to be applied in a very simple, adoptable, consumable manner within the context of clinical trials in the life sciences, which is a still quite a conservative industry. Although there is willingness to adopt technology, um, um, they don't expect disrupting the process. So any new, uh, technologies, uh, uh, as they are currently disrupting the um, uh, life science industry, needs to fit within these constructs um, and needs to meet the regulatory quality standards of uh, clinical trials. Arsha Rajasima, founder and CEO of Jiva Informatics Solutions. Arsha, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Danny. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.